So good to be with all of you this weekend as we continue to step into the unfolding story that God is writing for us. Um, over this weekend, considering the realities that have occurred, specifically uh, the realities that occurred in Paris, uh, my wife and I decided last night uh, that we would just take some time with our kids and we would circle up with them and just really try to unpack for them in context, uh, the kind of context that kids can kind of relate to, the realities that have occurred in our world because they can't hide from them. This is the world we live in. Uh, and we just wanted to spend some time as a family just praying together for those people that are in Paris and in France as they uh, wor work through and, and walk through the realities of this kind of tragedy. So we circled up and I shared with my kids some similar things that I might have shared with you. I just talked to them about even uh, mom and dad going out on a date night, going to a restaurant and then someone drives by and decides to pull some triggers and, and then we're not there anymore. And We just talked a little bit about what the people are going through in Paris right now and then we stopped and we spent some time praying. Now, just in case you have some kind of idea in your head that because my kids are the pastor's kids that I can line them up in a, in a circle of eight and we pray for an hour together and we sequence out perfectly, that is not how my home goes, right? Now, I do more talking and correcting during the praying than we do actual praying. There's usually someone throwing something at someone else, someone looking around, someone not paying attention, and someone messing with someone that causes a fight. So uh, praying in my house goes the same way probably that it does in your home in many ways with a bunch of kids. And so this particular time as we entered the prayer, there was something wholly different about it. It was almost as though there was a reverence in the room that wasn't usually there. Uh, my kids were just quieter than usual, and so they went through, and a couple of them prayed, and I could tell as they were praying that they were really connecting emotionally with this reality because several of my children, as they prayed, you know, when you, you can hear it in the voice, when the emotions are rising and they're trying to maintain control, but they almost can't, just really feeling the weight of this tragedy. And my eight-year-old son, he was sitting on the couch over here, and I, I noticed about uh, two or three prayers in that he was just sitting crying on the couch because the crying got louder and he's sort of crying a lot. So I called him over and he kind of snuck over and, and he, he curled right up on top of me, like, you know, when kids curl up in that little ball. And he just sat on my lap and he wept the entire time we prayed as a family. He just wept and wept and wept. And afterwards, I said to Cole, hey, buddy, what, what is it that's feeling so hard for you? Uh, are, you, are you afraid? Are you scared? And he said, Dad, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm sad. That's what he said to me. Just very sad about what had happened. So we go about our night, a normal deal, and we celebrate some things. It was one of my daughter's birthdays two days ago, so we had our birthday celebration. And then when we went to bed, I could tell Cole was just still a pretty sad. So I said, would you like me to lay with you for a few minutes? He said, that'd be great. So I lay down in bed with him, and he looks at me, and he says, Dad, can I pray? So I said, sure, you can pray. He loves to pray. And um, so he starts praying. He prays a straight 10 minutes, no kidding, maybe more. And he just weeps and prays and just weeps and prays. He prays for the people in Paris and the moms and dads that lost kids and the kids that lost moms and dads. And he prayed for, he prayed for the terrorists that they would come to know Jesus and that, that God would rescue them so that they would not do this anymore. And he, he prayed for us uh, to be uh, engaged in changing the world. He's laying like, help us to live this out so we can change the world and this would all go away. And I'm listening to all these prayers. And when we're done praying, 
morning, I laid next to him and I said to him, buddy, you, you know, this right here, this fact that the world is this messy, this is why it's important that we wake up every day and we live out the gospel of Jesus, that we tell people about Jesus, that we live the way God calls us to so that we can be light to people so that this stuff stops happening. That's the privilege we get. And he totally got that. And we dialogued about that for a few minutes. And then he laid down and I laid with him as he quietly fell asleep. And I'm laying in the bed next to him as he's kind of falling asleep. And I'm thinking to myself, God, that you would use us as a church to actually change the world. Would you please do that? Like I'm just laying in the bed, overwhelmed by Paris and terrorism and the orphan crisis and foster care and special needs and every other thing on this planet that's just hard. And I'm like, God, that you would use us to change the world. I, I, I'm asking you to do that. Because I'll tell you, all week long, preparing for this weekend, that's what's been on my mind. Can you imagine what if God actually uses us to change the world? No, I mean, really. We talk about it a lot. We're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. But what if he actually decides to use us as a church to change the world? I mean, not like theoretically change the world. I mean that life is different for people on this planet a hundred years from now because we were on this planet, because God used us to redeem big, crazy things that are broken now, and when we're done with them, by God's power, they're not broken anymore. What if God does that? See, that's what this last few weeks have been about for us. For us, it hasn't been about a two-year vision. It hasn't been about trying to make sure we can engage in our time and our resources to, to make a two-year vision happen. The two-year vision is just what catalyzes, it's the spark that starts the fire that is going to cause the next decade to be a world-changing decade. And that decade is just the spark that causes the next four decades to allow us to actually shape real things, to change real stuff. I want to, I want to be the, the movement that when we're done, we can say there was an orphan crisis in the world, now there's just an orphan problem, right? I want to move the dial. I want to actually see things change. And then those next four decades is just us setting up the children we're birthing right now to take on world change and change everything over their lifetime as well. That's why our vision is so simple and we want to keep it so simple. I mean, you remember what it is. I, I'm gonna recap it again. I'm gonna throw it up for you. Why? Because it, you, you gotta remember this. This is what we're about. This is what we're doing because we gotta stick to this because it matters. We are going to equip the saints to do the work of the gospel. That's it. Because the only solution to the problems on this planet that will make real change are Christ followers that are living on mission for the kingdom equipped to do the work of redemption. That's what's going to change the world. And so we want to equip the saints through the work of the, uh, the, the gospel. That means we have to accelerate ministry. We have to develop leadership at a high pace. We want all of you to assume that you should step into being qualified biblically to lead. Why? Because followers of Jesus should represent Jesus, right? And that means we live our lives for him. And we are going to staff this place with just the staff needed to facilitate those realities. 
We are also going to take those saints that we equip and we're going to impact the world. We're not going to sit around and sing Kumbaya together. We're going to get out there into our neighborhoods and our, and our city and our world and we are going to impact the world. We are going to affect church planting, justice and mercy issues, orphan care. We're going to engage in people groups in our city that need the gospel that are restricted in some way like the Latino campus will do for language barriers. We are going to engage in serving the hard places in our city like special needs places others have a tough time serving because it's unpredictable. We are also gonna make sure we grow that story because we want more saints equipped to do more impact, carry the gospel more into our city and the world. The only way that we are gonna see redemption ultimately overcome these crazy stories we're part of is that there's more of us doing the work of the gospel and carrying the name of Christ. So we are going to move the dial on that. We're gonna expand our Disney campus, we're gonna have campuses around the city, and we are gonna expand facilities so that we're not doing a hundred gatherings on a weekend in five years from now, and so that we actually have space for our children and our students to be well equipped to do the work of the ministry and for our adults to do the same thing. That's what we're going to work on. And why are we working on this vision? We're working on this vision because we believe that if we do that, that we might allowed, be allowed by God to step into a story where we can actually change the world, where we might be used of God, that things on this planet, the dial will move, orphan crisis diverted, human trafficking changed forever, terrorism diminished because a force of Christ followers took the gospel to these places. Now, I was thinking this week as I was thinking about what if God actually used us to change the world, I was thinking about what that really meant, right? So I'm thinking about people that actually changed the world. Names of people that you would say, oh, yep, that person changed the world. And a couple of names came to mind. There's a number, not tons, but a number. Here are some. Think about these names for a second. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Helen Keller, Martin Luther, Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, Paul, Peter, John, the apostles, Will, uh, the, the Wright brothers, Isaac Newton, Joan of Arc, Louis Pasteur, Mother Teresa, Thomas Edison. I could go on. These are names that you've heard, right? You know these names. You know what they did. You go, yep, check. I know what that person did. I know what that person did. Why? Because life for us is different because they dared to step in and do something about a problem that was existing in their time. They are entire people groups that were bound, that are free because of those names. They are entire experiences on this planet that are different because these people dared to step in and say, I'm gonna press through and I'm gonna do something about this and because they did, we have a different life. The world is not the same. Redeemed things have occurred. And many of them didn't even know Jesus. Many of them did. This is just people daring to live beyond their comfort zones. And I started thinking to myself, what would it be like 300 years from now, so three centuries, that's not a long time, we'll all be dead, but basically it's just a couple of centuries. What if in a couple of centuries kids are sitting in school and they are learning about different movements and groups and people that actually changed the world. What if they're sitting there and, and the teacher says, just a few hundred years ago on this planet, there was an orphan crisis. There were 153 million orphans. And the kids go, no, that's not possible. They go, yep, 
it's true. That's how people used to live. And the kids go, what, what happened? And they go, oh, well, Mosaic Church happened. That's what happened. There was a movement. It started with this little church and this little area in Orlando, and then it spread, and they became loud, and the other churches joined in, and other movements joined in. And before you knew it, it, it took a 100 years, but the orphan crisis was eliminated. There's no more orphan crisis. We hardly know what an orphan is. Can you imagine if they're reading and they go, you know what, kids? 300 years ago, people were actually trafficked back and forth to be used by other people in terrible ways. No. Yep, it was called human trafficking. You're kidding. Just a few hundred years ago. No, what happened? Well, there was this church, Mosaic Church, and they decided to step into that problem, and then others stepped in with them, and before you knew it, that problem was eradicated. See how this goes? What if God actually decided to use us to change the world? So all week long, I figured, with especially my personality, which is pretty optimistic, and I generally get very excitable about things like changing the world, I thought this would be a week full of excitement for me. I'd be driving around just going, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to change the world. But it wasn't a week like that at all for me. As a matter of fact, it was a heavy week for me. Honestly, I was driving around, I said to Brooke about three quarters way into the week, I said, this is the oddest week. I'm thinking about the coolest stuff on planet Earth, and all I feel is heavy. I, I feel like half of me is just like off, and I'm like, it's, it feels all wrong. I don't even know what I'm feeling. I don't even know why this makes me feel heavy. And then it dawned on me as I was pressing into that feeling and going, God, what is this feeling of just feeling heavy as I think about this reality of you using us to change the world? And it dawned on me as I came into the, toward the end of the week. Have, have you read the bios of the list of people I mentioned to you? Abraham Lincoln, Helen Keller, and Martin Luther King. Have you read their bios? Have you watched their movies? See, we tend to hear their story and it's like, oh, it's like Abe just flew in like Superman. Let's eradicate slavery. And it was done. It didn't work that way. Martin Luther King just came in with a, a, few, a few speeches and bam, the whole world was changed. Didn't go that way. You know how many times I can imagine that Helen Keller, who couldn't see and couldn't hear, sat in her room and wept, thinking to herself, this will never happen. I can't even figure out how to figure anything out. I'm lost in the darkness of my own head. But she somehow worked through that, and because she did, the entire Hearing impaired community, the entire blind community has a completely different life experience today because of that woman. Can you imagine if Martin Luther King was sitting in prison for the what, fifth time or sixth time, realizing that there is no way to overcome the political and ingrained DNA in our region in the South to ever overcome what is happening here? What if he gave up? He should have. If I'd put my money on the story reading his real bio, I'd have been like, it's impossible. You're never going to change people's hearts and minds. And he pressed in, and because of that, we live a very different life today than we would have. Abraham Lincoln, do you know how thin the line was between eradicating slavery and not eradicating slavery? Do you know how thin that line was? I mean, if I watched his life story and looked at unfold, the struggles in his marriage, his wife, the things that he had to deal with, uh, how many times he failed even in politics, and then how close it came to the people not listening to him when he gave his famous speech. You know how close he came not to realizing the end of slavery, but he pressed on, and because he did, he realized it. These people had hard lives. They had rough stories, every one of them. It was very difficult to be a world changer. 
And it started dawning on me this week as I was thinking about this. What if, what if instead of us changing the world, what if I dance around on the stage like a monkey all day long going, change the world, change the world, and you all go, that sounds awesome, but then none of us actually respond in any real way. What if none of us respond with, with fearless generosity? What if none of us respond with fearless lives? What if we get stuck, the majority of us, in still just kind of living the ordinary uh, status quo lives that we live because we're fearful? What if we do that? What if this is never realized and we say this all day long but it doesn't happen? That's heavy. Or, or, or worse, what if we do What if all of you respond with fearless generosity? What if all of you respond with fearless lives? We we lay our lives down. We give it all away, folks. Over the next 10 years, we give everything we have away. We spend it all on world change. And and half of us go to hard places in the world and we we, we get slaughtered for our faith and we die martyrs. And the other half of us struggle because we're broke and we're poor and we're on mission and we die in some cave somewhere. And we look around and we go, we did all of that. We gave all of it, and, and orphan crisis is not diverted, and, and human trafficking is not stopped, and nothing much has changed other than some people that came to Jesus here and there as we went about it. What if that happens? What if we do it all, and we don't see, we don't realize, we don't, we don't experience this change that we are laying all this down for? These are big questions, aren't they? We ought to think about these things, thankfully, God knew this was exactly the wrestle that we would have to deal with if we were gonna choose to follow Jesus. And we were gonna choose to do it in such a way that we would live fearlessly and be fearlessly generous so that we could see the world change. In a beautiful passage in scripture, through some beautiful stories, he gives us a glimpse into the reality of why we should live by faith, full of faith, instead of by fear, full of fear. He shows us that the life of faithfulness, the life that is fearless, is in fact a beautiful life to live whether or not we realize the full fruit and implications of that in our lifetime because we will realize them. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using a smart device or one of your own Bibles, Hebrews 11 verse 1. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided, you grabbed on your way in, it's page 696. Page 696. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now the author of Hebrews launches into this chapter with this incredible statement kind of setting the pace for why he's even authoring this chapter. Here's what he says, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So look what he just said. He said faith, those who live faithfully, they don't live by what they see, they don't live by what they can tangibly touch. They live by what they know is going to be true because they've been told something. So they have an assurance of what? Things hoped for, not yet realized, and they have a conviction. They are convinced of things not yet seen. They know something. And then it's beautiful how he puts this. He says, the people that live this way by faith and not by sight, not by fear, they are commended 
not for the fruit that is born out of their faith, not for the things they produce by their faith, but for their faith itself. Did you see that? They were not commended because X, Y, and Z happened. Orphan crisis eradicated, commended. No, 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 no. They were commended because they chose to live their lives by faith and not by fear. Now look what he does here. Look what he says. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So those living by faith have a clarity that there is a creator, that he has made us, that he has purpose, and that he is involved in our lives. And so we know that that creator exists, so we have an eternal perspective. That changes everything. See, he's setting the clue here. He's saying the people that live by faith, they do not live for what is seen, what is temporal, what is on this planet. They live for what they know is to come because the kingdom to come, the one that God created for us for, that's the one that matters. And that's the one we get to live for now. That's how these people live. Now he lists some names. And they're amazing names. Every one of these names, because they were on this planet, we have a revelation of Christ that is unique. The human journey was affected by these names. The human story was affected. By faith, Abel did some things. That's in verse four. In verse five, by faith, Enoch did some incredible things. In verse six, the author here throws in another clue to us as to the power of living by faith. Look at what he says. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So those who live by faith, they have the knowledge of something critical. They realize that God didn't just create us and then leave us to survive this planet until we die and I can be with him again. That God is in fact intricately involved in the ongoing story. He is rewarding those who are living on this planet in the story that he's written for them, right? So in other words, here's what it's saying. God did not save your soul and mine and redeem our future and then tell us, hang out on planet earth to live out your bodily life because your body's kind of alive. I'm not going to kill it. Let's just let it live out. Good luck. Survive well. See you on the other side. It's not how it rolls, right? God also did not rescue our souls and immediately take us to experience our full redemption because then none of us would be here, right? We'd all already be gone. So what did God do? He rescued our souls, redeemed our future, and then restored to us a life of purpose, a life of passion, a life of significance, a life of redemption on this planet because we get to be the ambassadors of Christ. So he says, those who live by faith, they know something. There is a God, he is with them, and he is in fact writing a story, rewarding those who are living in the story of God. There is great purpose in the story. Now look what he says here. Verse seven, by faith, Noah did some incredible things. By faith, Abraham did some incredible things. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah did some incredible things. These all died, he says in verse 15, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's a crazy verse. You see what God just said through the author of Hebrews? 
These incredible men and women, Sarah, Abraham, Moses, Noah, Abel, Enoch, none of them realized the fullness of the life they lived by faith and its full fruit. They died still hoping for things that they had not yet seen, being convinced of things they had not yet seen. What does that mean? It means that when Noah was told by God to build a boat and and do it when it's not raining in the middle of a desert, and he thought that was weird, but he did it anyway, and it turned out to save his family, he didn't even know that the saving of his family had implications so far-reaching that we would be sitting here in 2015 telling his story because it, it effectively rescued the human story and was a beautiful picture of God's rescue and mercy of the human race that set up the knowledge of Jesus that helped us know that Jesus was our Savior. Could Noah have possibly known that his story would do all of that? Or or what about Abraham and Isaac? Can you imagine if if Abraham had any, any idea that when he was asked to take Isaac up and sacrifice him, that that moment wasn't simply a test for Abraham to see if he'd do what he had to do. It was a beautiful picture being painted for us so that we over centuries would recognize the Messiah and know the depths of God's love for us, setting up the beauty of God's rescue of the human story. And that God's promises are to this day known to be faithful in part because the story of Abraham and Isaac. Could Abraham have ever known any of that fruit? No. So I said, listen, most of these people lived these significant uh, lives of faith and they did not even see in their lifetime the full fruit of the story. In fact, they couldn't have possibly known. And he says this, for people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. I will tell you, I have come to realize that that verse should be one of the scariest verses in Scripture. You know what that verse just said? It said this, people that live by faith, not by fear, that live for the story of God, not for their own story, here's what happens with those people. They stop fixating on the life they want for themselves and they start fixating on the life God is authoring for them that they get to participate in for the glory of God, right? This is what he's saying. Those people that do not live by faith, they have the opportunity, this is crazy, the opportunity to go live their life the way they used to for themselves. That means you and I, though our salvation is secure, our souls are rescued, our future is redeemed, that was Jesus' work on, for us on our behalf, our opportunity, our privilege to participate in the story of God, we can actually shelve that opportunity by wanting the life we've always wanted. He says, man, if they were looking back at the life they once had, they would have had opportunity to return. God didn't make them not do it. But these who we are talking about, the reason that the world is different because they were on this planet is because when they had the opportunity to think about what they wanted in life, they chose not to step into that. Listen to what it says they did in fact. But as it is, it says in verse 16, They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They had an eternal perspective. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It's a beautiful declaration that we, the people of God, carry the name of God. 
And when we carry the name of God, we carry the name of God in a manner worthy of God when we live faithfully rather than fearfully. So just like my kids, there are days when my kids do something, say something, act some way, and I go, that's my kid. That's my kid. Oh, my. that's a Vanderit. That's, everybody, that's a Vanderit. I don't even say it. I just, you, I just know you all know it. Oh, yeah, that's a Vanderit. And then there are other days. There are other days where I go, what kid? What, oh, that one? I agree. We should find their parents. Somebody needs to control that child. Really? And I think to myself, oh, that people would know that they belong to me. Now, is that child mine? Yes. Do I love them? Yes. But are there days where I am unashamed to be called their parent? Yes. And are there days where I'm like, oh gosh, oh please, no, don't carry my name, not today. Yes, there are days like that too. And I want to live my life on this planet along with you all in such a way that God would say, those people carry my name. That's right, they carry my name. Man, that's what I'm talking about. And it says here, it's those who chose to live by faith. Now look what he says here. By faith, Abraham did some incredible things. Verse 25, I mean uh, 23, by faith, Moses did some incredible things. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. See, sometimes it's not an individual. Sometimes it's a movement, a people group. That means we could fit into that equation as a church. That by faith, we, Mosaic Church, did some things. Experienced some extraordinary stuff. And then look what he says in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me if I tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. You know, I love that list. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture, so I know it well. And that list, every time I read it, you know what I call that list? I call it the list of impossible things. Have you read it? Nothing on that list is normal. Nothing. Nothing on that list. We go, oh, oh, that woman received their, their dead back from the dead by resurrection. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've seen that a couple of times in my life. It's rare, but yeah, it's happened a few times. Have you, have you ever seen that? I haven't. Oh, the, he thwarted some armies. Oh, that, that, that's awesome. Oh, the, the lions were going to eat him, but somebody shut their mouths. Oh, that's, that's pretty normal. Oh, they stood in a fire and didn't burn. Yeah, that's totally normal. Totally possible. It's not possible. These are not possible things. They are impossible things. And here's what this says. People that live by faith, groups of people that live by faith, they cross the Red Sea. They see their dead resurrected. They see lions held back. They see fire without its ability to burn. I mean, they see impossible stuff. So when we say, is it possible in a generation to divert the orphan crisis and put it, a stop to it? No, it's not possible. It's just not possible. That's why it's so fun. Because it's on that list. Is it possible to redeem foster care? No, but that's why it's fun, because it's on the list of impossible things. Is it possible to stop human trafficking? No, but that's exactly why people of faith have such different experiences, because impossible things become legitimate opportunities. And we go work to realize them. But here's the deal. The list doesn't stop there. If you're going to live by faith and you're going to trust God, uh, there's a cost that comes with that that's very significant. Listen to this. So women received uh, their, their dead back by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in uh, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. That is not a pretty list, is it? That is an equally legitimate list to the faithful. The faithful saw impossible things realized. The faithful experienced impossible suffering. And yet in their impossible suffering, their response was faithful, faithful. And they were commended for their faith because faithful living produces this space in which we become part of a story that is reshaping the planet. Sometimes we see the fruit, sometimes we don't in our lifetime, but the fruit is always realized because Jesus is at work. Well, that's their story. You know what's beautiful about their story? We're invited into their story. Hebrews chapter 12, listen to this. So this is really closing 11 out and starting 12. He says this, in view of these people we've just talked about, listen to this, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these men and women who have lived by faith before we have, we're not the first, we won't be the last, right? Let us also, that's us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, what it's saying here is this. You got plenty of men and women who have demonstrated to you that lives of faithfulness, not fearfulness, is extraordinary, and though it may be costly, it affects the story of God with such magnitude that you are always participating in the redemptive change. In fact, Jesus himself showed us this. He came here, and he did not scorn the cross. He, I mean, he scorned its shame. He did not fear the cross. He went to the cross. Why? For the joy that he knew was to come. That is an act of faith is it not? It's you saying, I am assured of things hoped for. I am certain. I am convicted, convinced of things not yet seen. So we have a choice, you and me. We have a choice today. We have a choice every day. We can choose to live by faith because the gospel has been revealed to us and we know now, or we can choose to live by fear. That's our everyday choice. By faith, we live this way. I am assured of things hoped for. Yes, my circumstances are shouting at me about stuff I don't like. Yes, what I see doesn't make all the sense in the world. Yes, it seems impossible, but I am assured of things hoped for, and I am convinced, convicted of things not yet seen. When I leave this planet, I go home. I go home, and it's better, right? To live as Christ, that's awesome, but to die as gain, that's awesomer. And that I'm assured of, right? So I can live that way. You know what living by fear is? It's the exact opposite of living by faith. It really says this essentially. I am skeptical of things hoped for. I am skeptical of things hoped for. I mean, I hope for stuff I do, but I'm not sure if it's gonna play out. I'm not sure if it's gonna happen. I know he says it. I know he said, but I don't know. 
There's a lot of reason to believe it might not. I mean, have you seen the circumstances? Have you seen the realities in which we live? And we all live there at times, don't we? Skeptical of things hoped for. Maybe not eternal things, maybe sometimes, but certainly temporal things. Well, I, I don't know if God's gonna provide for me in six months or six years. I don't know if, if everything's gonna fall apart. I don't know what we might or might not need. So I can't afford to be free, to be reckless with what I have, to be fearless with it, because I don't know what God's gonna do. Well, that, yeah, I'm skeptical of things hoped for. God's promises are difficult to make tangible when I can't yet see them. And I am anxious of things not yet seen. That's how most of us live, skeptical of things hoped for, anxious of things not yet seen. As soon as I can see it, as soon as, it's, as, soon as that happens, or this happens, or this next thing happens, or that moment happens, or this thing happens in the business, or this thing happens at home, or this moment, then, then I will be ready. But until that happens, what if it doesn't happen? And I get it, it is where we all live. But here's the deal, fearless living paralyzes us from being, I mean, fearful living paralyzes us from being fearless. It paralyzes us from being fully faithful. And when we choose as a people group, as a church, all of us together start saying, you know what? I am going to live faithfully, full of faith. That is, I'm going to be assured of things hoped for and certain, convinced of things not yet seen. I'm gonna count on the promises of God and trust him to do what he does in my life so that I can do what he needs now. Here's what begins to happen. We become the faithful church. And you know what the faithful church is? It is the movement that Jesus started that said would storm the gates of hell on this planet and would overcome them. We, the faithful church, are the answer to the orphan crisis. We are the answer to the human trafficking crisis. Folks, we are the answer to terrorism. Yes, right now, thank goodness we have a military in place. Thank goodness men and women give their lives to keep us safe because there are terrorists in the world that want to hurt everybody. But if we, the believers, stepped up to the plate, went to hard places and shared the gospel, eventually there would be no more terrorists, which means there would be no more need for a military, which means that our men and women wouldn't have to die to protect us. And I want to fight for them for a change by living the gospel out of my neighborhood, my city, and the world. Because we get to do that. The hope of the nations is not a larger military or a larger budget or a larger government or a larger anything. It is a larger church. And it is a larger group of Christ followers living faithfully. And when we live faithfully, we will realize real world change. And that's what I'm excited about that we might be able to be invited into that story as a church. We might be a voice loud enough to actually affect things on that level. See, I want to live a life that dares to believe God, that dares to believe what God says is actually true. I want to live a life that dares to believe that losing more of myself and losing more of my stuff for the sake of the story of God is the best way to live. When Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. But if you try to preserve it, it will slip from you. I want to live as though that's actually true. I want to dare to demonstrate to my soul and to the world that I am absolutely assured of things hoped for and absolutely convinced of things not yet seen. 
I want the world to watch us with our resources and watch us with our lives and watch us with our grief and watch us with our joy and watch us with our opportunities and watch us with our businesses and watch us with our marriages and watch us with our relationships and go, what is your problem? And then we go, I am assured of things hoped for and I'm convinced of things not yet seen. I know that's hard for you to see because that's when we will become a church that will measure ourselves in the hallways of chapters like Hebrews 11. I want us to be able to say a decade from now, by faith, Mosaic Church engaged the orphan crisis, though it was an impossible thing to imagine we could ever fix. By faith, Mosaic Church engaged foster care. By faith, Mosaic Church stepped into that people group's life. By faith, Mosaic Church went to the Middle East, went to Indonesia, went to Cambodia, went to Brazil, went anywhere. By faith, Mosaic Church chose to be generous, chose to use their lives in their city. By faith, Mosaic Church stepped into whatever hard thing God invited them into. And by faith, Mosaic Church realized beautiful things, and paid high prices by faith. Because that, that is the opportunity that lingers before us. But it is going to require us to live by faith, not by fear. Fearless in our generosity, fearless with our lives. And then we will be among the names of the stories that were used by God to change the world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have invited us, ordinary people, into a movement, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, that you have established on this planet to charge the gates of hell, to walk into the darkness, to step into hard places, to bear the weight of sin in this world, for, for the sake of those trapped by it so that we might represent you as ambassadors of Christ. God, would you remind us that everything you've given us, our, our relationships, all the resources, our, our careers, our businesses, all of it, God, are all of the circumstances that we've had to live through, the hard stuff, the easy stuff, the beautiful stuff, the tragic stuff, all of it, as it has come our way, some of it thrown at us by this planet, some of us just provided by you for us, that all those things, you have woven them, shaped them, used them, so that we would have the opportunity to participate in your redemptive story. Remind us, God, that you did not give us our lives so we could build our kingdoms. You gave us our lives so we could participate in your kingdom. God, thank you that you have invited us in Hebrews 12 to participate in the great story of Hebrews 11 by also casting off that everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and fixing our eyes on you, Jesus running with endurance the race marked out for us to run. Use us mightily, God, to change the world. We are here. We want that. We know it's costly. We know we might face great affliction. God, use us so that we would see impossible things realized. God, we love you. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you for your privilege that you give us to be used by you for great redemptive ends. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.